Jason Lemieux served in the United States Marine Corps from September 2001 until May 2006 when he was honorably discharged as a sergeant. During his time in the Marine Corps, Jason was an infantryman and served three deployments to Iraq. He's now the secretary of the Los Angeles chapter of Iraq Veterans Against the War, and he joins us this morning to discuss uh, Iraq Veterans Against the War and to help make sense of uh, exactly what's going on in uh, in the region. And uh, Jason, good morning. Morning. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us this early on a uh, on a, a Thursday morning. How are you this morning? Uh, I'm good. Um, why don't we begin, let our listeners know, what exactly is Iraq Veterans Against the War? Sure. Uh, Iraq Veterans Against the War was founded by Iraq War Veterans in July 2004 at a Veterans for Peace convention, and it is comprised of members of the U.S. military who have served since 9-11 who agree with the mission statement, which is immediate withdrawal of all U.S. forces from Iraq, uh, full support and reach full support and benefits for returning veterans and uh, to support the real reconstruction of Iraq. That's uh, not going on, of course. Now, how did you... Well, let's back up a bit. Give us some background. How did you enlist in the military, or why did you enlist in the military to begin with? Uh, Well, my father was a Marine in Vietnam, and uh, I always had this image of Marines as being just the best citizens, the best, you know, the best person that you could be and the best American that you can be. And they're the guys helping little old ladies across the street. And so I joined, I joined for the strength of character. I joined the Marine Corps basically to make, to make a man out of myself. Now, your bio says that you joined in September 2001. Was this, uh, did September 11th have anything to do with your decision? No, actually, I left for boot camp two days before 9-11. Okay, so this was something that was in the works before all of the events. Yes. Okay. Um, and what did you like about the military? I mean, aside from, from what took place in Iraq, did, did, you, did you enjoy your experience in the Marines? Well, one thing, the, the, probably the biggest thing was the, the camaraderie, the sense of camaraderie um, and the brotherhood. And I, as since I've gotten out, I don't really think I've seen it, uh, the, the same strength of a connection between people. And in retrospect, I like some of the character that it built in me, uh, just the, the sense of competence and, and this uh, sense of just doing whatever has to be done. You know, I, I, I don't shy away from challenges now, and so I'm really glad that the Marine Corps gave me that. When you were in the military, um, well, let's 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 back up and and what were your thoughts when you found out that uh, the United States was planning to go to war against Iraq? Were you against the war from the from its inception, or was this an evolving uh, process? Well, I was against the war from the beginning, and. Growing up, the, the kinds of things that I had read and the kinds of ideas that I had had, my idea of war is that war is a, is a diplomatic failure. If you are the leader of a country and you go to war, it's because you've failed in all other methods and you are now faced with the only last resort that's absolutely necessary to protect your country 
and and that leader should be disappointed in themselves that they failed and now it's necessary to go to war and that's not that's not the way i perceived our impending invasion of iraq so i was unhappy about it right from the start what about those in is it is it's called a platoon right those in your platoon mm. what were um, their what were their thoughts on on this well, at the beginning, uh, I would say almost all of them supported it. I might have been the only one. And what was that like? Were you able to convey your feelings to them, or did you feel that you had to keep quiet, or was there a lot of debate and discussion amongst yourselves? You know, it's interesting. At the very beginning, uh, I remember expressing myself very openly and nobody really having any problem with it. It's not until later that there became this, this suppression of any, any uh, discontent for the war. To what do you attribute that? Um, well, for me, I think most members of the military have a psychological need to believe in what they're doing. You know, they couldn't wake up every day and continue putting on that uniform if they really felt that what they were doing was not helping or was even hurting. So... So that's the main reason that I see. Well, then the, that begs the question, does dissent on the home front, you know, the, the anti-war protesters and peaceniks and debate in Congress, you know, during the early stages of, of the war, uh, you had uh, folks from the Bush administration suggesting that to speak out uh, in opposition to the war would lower troop morale. Do you agree with that? Is there some truth to that? Uh, not really. I think that's a really simplistic argument. Uh, it's something that's been spouted you know, during the conduct of every war. Um, and first of all, a lot of the, the troops don't necessarily pay attention to what's going on you know, in the rest of the country. They're so concerned about doing their jobs that they don't have time to be watching the news and to be attending protests and to be offended at, you know, people's ideas. And also that even if technically it may have lowered morale, um, that's just an unfortunate byproduct of doing what has to be done for the security of the country. And, that, and that's the price we pay for an open and free society. You know, right. there's nothing in the Constitution that suggests that, uh, that dissent uh, ceases when uh, when we're at war. Although the Supreme Court has you know interpreted that at, at various points throughout our history, so I was just following up the idea that you know if in fact soldiers have a, a psychological need to um, believe in uh, their mission, and I don't think that's limited, of course, just to soldiers. I think most people want to believe that what they do makes a difference in life. Then you know that can play into the hands of of those who who want to s- suppress speech but you're suggesting that they, they don't necessarily pay that much attention when they're in a danger zone to what's going on in Congress. Right. Okay. Um, tell our listeners, I want to remind our listeners that they're in tune to KUCI and Irvine 88.9 FM. This is Justice or Just Us, and we're speaking with Jason Lemieux from Iraq Veterans Against the War. Uh, what was it like in, in Iraq? There's a lot of mixed messages about what constitutes progress and and what constitutes safety and whether we were greeted as liberators and and so forth so um given your experience what did you find 
Uh, well, I think all this talk of progress exists solely in people's minds. It exists absolutely nowhere in reality. Uh, during my three tours, I watched the complete opposite of progress. I watched a total decline in the security and stability and in, <clears throat> in our perception in the eyes of the Iraqi people. So there were a lot of times when, I mean, it, the country's in a state of martial law. So the U.S. military can basically do whatever they want and tell any civilian to do anything they want at any time. So as your four Humvees are driving down the middle of the street, Iraqis have to pull their cars off the, off the side of the road to let you, you know, have an unimpeded passage because you don't want to slow down. It makes you an easier target for roadside bombs and for you know rockets and, and what have you. So the people know that even if their brakes are bad and it means they're going to slam into a building, they better yank off the road because they're going to get shot by that guy who's in that lead Humvee because he doesn't want to get killed by a suicide bomber. And so... So it's, it's hard to think of, of uh, the U.S. in that context as a, a, a liberating force. Right, and I guess the only way that one could calculate progress, if you thought it was progress, was every time we kill or capture what we're calling our enemy. But people don't understand that every time you ram some guy's car off the road, you know, that just creates five new enemies. So that guy you captured last week you know, has been easily offset. And the insurgency continues to grow. And m more importantly, the, the civilians who haven't been moved to armed resistance support the, re the armed resistance. And that's, that's the real problem, is that the resistance needs their support and it's getting it. I, uh, I I watch a lot of PBS, and I was watching an episode of Frontline, which has done a lot of uh, documentaries of sorts on on Iraq and uh, or or the, the the conflict in Iraq. And I remember uh, one recently, kind of similar to what you talked about about a, a car driving on on a road. Uh, there was what soldiers considered to be an overly tall woman dressed in a burqa. And they thought that the woman might, in fact, be a man. And they looked at her, her neck to see if, in fact, she had a rather large Adam's apple. And uh, the soldiers there were trying to decide whether they should force this woman to remove, re this person, I should say, to remove the burqa to find out if, in fact, it was a woman or it might be a man with, with a bomb strapped to him. And uh, it seems like that's the kind of tension that, can add to an insurgency rather than uh, help uh, build trust between soldiers and Iraqis. Yes, that's true. And, of course, you know, terrorists and, and the resistance have used this to great effect because they know in order to protect ourselves, we have to use oppressive measures against innocent people. And that's part of what makes something like Iraq completely unwinnable. Just in order to protect yourself on a day-to-day -day basis, you have to commit the very actions that are going to lose you the war. And that's, one, that's the main reason for me why we should get out now, not later. I want to ask a very direct question because I think that uh, it's important to know exactly where you're coming from. Are you a pacifist? Are you against all war? What, what is your, your background of views on, I know you said that for you war should, be, uh, should only come after the breakdown of diplomacy, but... 
if people wanted to characterize you as, well, this guy is just against all war and he didn't know what he was getting into when he got into the Marines, how would you respond to that person? Um, I would say that really I don't believe that war is a is a is a worthwhile solution to solving problems and I'm you know I'm not alone in that general Norman Schwarzkopf uh, once said every soldier worth his salt should be anti-war but I think I'm also a realist and I understand that war's going to happen I mean it, I have no illusions that one day we're all going to live happily together you know in one long hand-holding chain across the world. So the reason I joined the Marine Corps was because I would rather fight war myself than than somebody else. Um, so while I, I think that uh, war is bad and, and wrong, I, I'm under no illusions that it's we can do away with it or that it doesn't need to be fought from time to time. As uh, as I was beginning the program this morning, I got a, a phone call from someone, and I'm not quite sure I got got his question right, but he wanted me to address the question of the distinction between citizens and, and soldiers. Um, and I don't know if you could quite comment on that, but is it, how do you, how were you able to balance those two roles while you were in the military that you you're a soldier and you've got a duty to the military, but you also have have a sense of what's right for the very country that you're defending um, or that you're told you're defending. Um, what kind of angst or existential <laughs> dilemma or... I don't know if you could understand the question because I'm not sure I did, but I want to at least try to entertain the caller's question. How do you balance when you're in the military being a soldier versus being a citizen? Well, it is really difficult. Uh, first of all, there are legal constraints. You know, you can't make disparaging remarks about anybody in the federal government, the president, or anybody in Congress. And there's also a lot of, I guess, illegal constraints as well. Um, you can face a lot of oppression if you really try and speak out and your views are, are not the popular views. Um, but for me, I guess I just told myself that, you know, I can't shut this out, I can't run away, so I would continue reading the news and trying to keep myself informed. And, of course, in the 2004 election, I actually took my leave at that time so I could fly home and vote because the absentee voting system, at least in my unit, was just a, well, it was non-existent. I mean, hmm. there's supposed to be an officer there to... Uh, make sure that everybody got their absentee ballots, and I couldn't even tell you who that officer was during the election. Well, that's an interesting, uh, that's a, a nice segue, because um, was it at that time when you when you um, flew back that you, how did you find out about Iraq Veterans Against the War? I know that the National Veterans for Peace Conference in 2004 was in Boston. Um, did you attend that conference? No, um, I don't recall exactly where I heard about Iraq Veterans Against War. Um, I think I probably just, you know, read it on some on a news article somewhere. And the way that it's worded, Iraq Veterans Against the War, I assumed that I had to be a veteran, meaning I had to have left active duty. I had to have my honorable discharge to join. And so I waited until I got out of the Marine Corps and then looked them up. 
and joined almost immediately. I didn't realize that I could have joined while I was still active, otherwise I would have. How important was it when you were coming out of the military to know that there was such an organization where, um, where you could speak out? It was really important, and I, it, was a, it was a great thing for me psychologically to be vindicated, you know, and to know that I was not the only veteran who thought that this was wrong and that this was a disaster. Because up until that point, uh, I really hadn't seen anybody with views similar to mine, or, or at least not anybody that was willing to openly express them and face the you know, inevitable consequences. So that was a big thing for me, especially coming out and struggling with transitioning to civilian life and um, post-traumatic stress disorder and things like that. Now, um, tell us a bit about um, what Iraq Veterans Against the War has been doing. What has been your involvement with the organization since, uh, since your discharge? Well, um, one big thing that we're involved in right now is we perform what we call Operation First Casualty. And it's based on the premise that the first casualty of war is the truth. <clears throat> so what we are trying to do is bring the occupation home to the American people, many of whom, it seems, do not care to really hear about what's going on in Iraq or even think about it. You know, they'd rather, they'd rather spend their Sunday at Starbucks and uh, spend their time watching television, watching Paris Hilton. So we perform mock combat patrols in major cities around the United States of America, and we have a lot of civilian volunteers that uh, we would come across during the course of the patrol and detain, just like we would in Iraq, for the same reasons we would in Iraq. You know, we find a cell phone on them, and automatically they must be the enemy to them, and everybody that's with them gets detained. And it, it, really, it really tends to startle the, the passers-by. <clears throat> so that's one, one big thing that we do. Um, so it's like, a, it's a, not to, to make light of it, but it's a form of, of street theater protest, if you will. Yeah, it's technically it's a guerrilla street theater. Okay. And where, um, where I know that this just happened, I think, in Times Square, and, and uh, your group did this, was it in the Third Street Promenade? Yes. Uh, there have been OFCs in Washington, D.C., New York City. We did one here at the Santa Monica Promenade. Uh, Chicago, there was one 4th of July in Denver, and we're going to be performing one in St. Louis at the annual Veterans for Peace Convention here in August. And we'll get to that in just a couple minutes because we want to let listeners know about uh, the upcoming conference and how they could uh, help send you and uh, other L.A. and Orange County members to the conference. But um, what uh, let's explore some of some of this a little bit more. You so you do the the operation uh, first casualty, and um, you also do something else which I, I found really really uh, revealing. Um, when you put a booth for uh, Iraq veterans against the war, you've got two large TV screens. Uh, let our listeners know what are those? What are the images on each screen, and what's the message you're trying to get across? Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, for those listeners who are not familiar, the U.S. Army has an official video game, an Xbox video game called America's Army. So one of the televisions is playing that, the, the demo for the America's Army video game over and over and over in a continuous loop with a sign labeling the TV that says video game. Now the other TV 
is insurgent attacks in Iraq on a continuous loop. And for those who don't know, um, insurgents and the resistance, I should say, often videotape their attacks. Um, so you will just see a U.S. Humvee driving along. All of a sudden, something explodes underneath, and the whole thing, you know, turns into spare parts. And that's the reality of what's going on in Iraq. You go there. Basically, at this point, you just drive around until you die. There's nobody to see. There's no enemy to fight. There's there's no back and forth whatsoever. And that TV is labeled real life. And the objective here is to illustrate the difference between the war in Iraq and the military that recruiters are selling kids and the actual reality of combat and what it's really like over there and how hopeless it is as an American soldier to you know, try and positively influence the situation or even to defend your own life from people who, who are pushing a button that you will never see. <clears throat> I, I think that was such, uh, for listeners, uh, Iraq Veterans Against the War came to, to Cal State Fullerton and put together uh, one of these displays, and I think that that was such an important visual for students, particularly at Cal State Fullerton that has such a large ROTC presence. It was such an important uh, visual for, for them to see because the military is really going to uh, amazing lengths to try to entice uh, students to, uh, to enlist. They've got rock climbing uh, displays and, and video games, as you pointed out, and, and concerts and Humvees blaring hip-hop and so forth. And it's, it, it's, it's really important to try to counter that with, uh, with a, an, a, a difficult dose of reality. One of the other things I think you guys had was um, you had the, the Kevlar vests for students to, to, to try on. What, what is the, the intent of that? Well, my intent in bringing my and that was actually my personal vest that I that I bought. I spent seven thousand dollars on that vest, vest because it's uh, higher quality than what we get issued. But my purpose was uh, just to show them how heavy it was and how uncomfortable and how hot that would be in one hundred and thirty degree weather. Because when you're playing a video game, it's not that uncomfortable to push the buttons on the controller. But in real life, you know, it's absolutely just excruciating to wear this gear and to go on those eight hour patrols. So when you're out and you're either doing Operation First Casualty or you're simply speaking at a neighborhood demonstration or you're, uh, you're at a college campus, what reaction do you get either from veterans of previous wars or from, from uh, students or uh, people who either agree or disagree with you? What kind of responses do you get from people? Well, uh, I think... Mostly the responses are positive. We get a lot of people saying, you know, this is good work that you're doing. And the main way we are really getting new, new members in the L.A. area is when we go out and do events, some veteran will come up and say, hey, how do I join? Um, you do get the occasional detractor, people who say they, they love us over there. Um, or, you know, how could you not support the troops, which, of course, is a total fallacy. But mostly the responses are positive. How how do you respond to uh, to people who who say how do you not support the troops? Which is kind of ironic, being a former troop member yourself. But how do you respond to that? Right. Yeah. Our first response is always, well, of course, we are the troops. But um, my answer is, I support the troops by doing everything I can to get them out of a, a unwinnable war. When yeah. you realize that 
our mission over there is absolutely unachievable. The only real support for those troops is to get them home. Now, sending them more armor so it's harder for them to get killed in this unwinnable war isn't supporting anything. Get them home. They're only supposed to be used when they absolutely need to be used. So that's my form of support. It's interesting that there is something that definitely plays in your favor, and that is that uh, we hear a lot of talk from Washington right now that uh, decisions about the war should not be made by politicians, but they should be made by people in the military. Uh, and, of course, Iraq Veterans Against the War and Veterans for Peace are, uh, I guess, as you say, now current or former uh, m- military folk. And uh, it really is an effective strategy to counter what uh, what other people in the military are saying. So who should have final say in... Uh, in decisions about war, should it be citizens or civilians? Should it be military? Should it be the the troops themselves, or should it be the military brass? How do you make sense of of where the decision lies? Well, uh, I think that's a very difficult question to answer, and I don't know if I can uh, satisfactorily answer it here in the couple of minutes we have. But um, I would say, in the end, it, it falls on the American people. This is still a democracy, and, I mean, the soldiers are supposed to follow orders, but you know, nobody's nobody's making them. If every single one of them revolts, obviously the war will end, but, you, you know, you can't, you can't depend on that or expect that. So, ultimately, I say it's the American people. You know, they have a right not to be involved in conflicts that they don't want to be involved in if they really don't think it's necessary. It seems like uh, it's probably not. Let us turn now to uh, the big event coming up in uh, in August. Uh, tell our listeners about what's going on in St. Louis and about your efforts to get there. All right. Well, uh, August in St. Louis is the annual Veterans for Peace convention, and Veterans for Peace is our parent organization. So the Iraq Veterans Against the War convention is going to be held. Uh, in conjunction with that, we're going to hold an election for our board of directors, <clears throat> and I think it will be our first uh, full election for the board. And there will also be a whole series of workshops, many of which haven't been completely figured out yet, but myself and another member here in L.A. are thinking of perhaps holding a workshop. Uh, we're going to perform Operation First Casualty in St. Louis, and that will be our biggest OFC to date because we'll have so many members from around the country in one area. Where I think we're really going to get a chance to blanket St. Louis very well. And we're also going to discuss our future tra- strategy and, and update our strategy for ending the war in light of current events. And I think it's also worthwhile to talk about the intangible uh, benefits of going. It's a really valuable time for members to meet each other and to experience that camaraderie that they felt in the military that they've been looking for since they got out and just to feel the sense of inspiration that I feel every time that I, I meet up with Iraq veterans against the war. Just this feeling that we can do something, you know, this is not hopeless. And for some of our new members, it's going to be the first time attending an event or really meeting up with other members. So it's really important to get them there and get them a sense of the organization locally and nationally and uh, let them see that they 
are not alone in their beliefs, that there are other vets who feel the same way they do. Do you have a sense of who some of the, uh, the keynote speakers uh, are going to be at the, at the conference? Well, Dennis Kucinich is one that will be there. Um, there are a lot of members of VFP, Veterans of Peace, that will be speaking. And uh, we will speak on one of the days. Other than that, I, if, the list is, if the list is finalized, I am not really aware of exactly who the keynote speakers are. And is Kucinich the only uh, presidential candidate who has, uh, have they all been invited, do you know, or is he just the only one who volunteered, or do you, do you have any sense of that? No, I really am not sure. Well, certainly getting to uh, St. Louis is, uh, is going to be costly, particularly to get uh, a nice representation from uh, both Los Angeles and uh, Orange County. Um, if listeners want to help send you all, how many are you trying to get out to St. Louis? Well, we have 43 members in San Diego, Los Angeles, and Orange County. And we would like to get as many of them as possible. Right now, we're, we're realistically expecting 15 to show up. And you've been holding fundraisers. I know there was uh, one on Saturday night in Whittier that I attended. And you're also... Um, You've set up, uh, there's a, an address if people want to send donations to help get the L.A., Orange County, or San Diego uh, Iraq veterans to St. Louis. Um, can you give some information to our listeners if they want to help out, where can they go to make a donation? Definitely. Uh, if you go online, you can go to www.ivaw.org backslash support and that will take you to the national Iraq veterans against the war website and there will be a donate now button that you can click on and it's important to point out that that just lets you donate money into the national IVW account so you would need to write IVAW Los Angeles in the special project support box and then that money is earmarked to help uh, the Los Angeles chapter, uh, people attend the, the conference. And uh, we should also point out that if listeners want, uh, there is a way to, uh, to, to really help out without it costing too much money. Uh, people can, can purchase an airline ticket uh, by using frequent flyer miles. People can, uh, can take credits for, for hotel rooms or whatever it is and try to transfer them to Iraq veterans. So uh, there are there are countless ways that uh, that listeners, if uh, if they're strapped for 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 funds, but want to help out, uh, there are lots of different alternatives to explore. So uh, for more information on that, it's uh, ivaw.org. We're just about out of time, but I wanted to to find out how is uh, how have people in the military uh, responded currently active. Uh, responded to uh, your outspokenness and the outspokenness of Iraq veterans against the war? Okay, real quick, I just want to give them my email if they want yeah, information definitely. on other ways. They can email me at Jason Lemieux, L-E-M-I-E-U-X, at IVAW.org. Okay, uh, could but, you re uh, repeat that one more time? Jason Lemieux, and the last name is L E M I. E U X 
at IVAW.org. Okay. And we'll make sure that all this information is, is posted on the, uh, the KUCI Talk website so they could scroll down to Justice or Just Us. And uh, if they click on your name, it'll uh, link to your email address. So um, people could certainly go there if they missed that. Um, so how do active, uh, active military members respond to uh, either you personally or uh, the outspokenness of Iraq veterans against the war? More and more, we're getting positive responses. Uh, we are an organization of approximately 500 members across the country, 100 of which have joined in the last two months. I'm getting more and more uh, people from my old unit that I never would have expected to, to come out and tell me they support me, but they're giving me phone calls and saying, hey, I support what you're doing. I totally agree with you. It's a complete waste of time to be over there. So... I think the opinion of the military is really turning, and the only reason you're not seeing even more soldiers and Marines speaking out and just flat-out refusing is uh, they don't want to abandon the man to the left and the right of them, and they're also afraid of getting punished. Otherwise, there would be widespread mutiny, I think, at this point. And how do you respond to people who say that if we pull out now, uh, Iraq will uh, devolve into an all-out civil war, that it'll be a bloodbath? Uh, I would answer then that Iraq will evolve into an all-out civil war and it will be a bloodbath. It doesn't matter whether or not the U.S. is there. We, at this point, are irrelevant. We cannot... We have absolutely no influence on 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 the sectarian violence. I mean, I would get, I would read intel reports every day on my last tour about so-and-so killed so-and-so, you know, Al-Qaeda or a Sunni will go into a Shia neighborhood, drag people out in broad daylight in the middle of the street, execute them, and then drive away nonchalantly. So we are going to have to leave someday, and when we leave, there will be a power vacuum because we cannot establish legitimacy and we cannot establish governance. We don't know enough about the culture. We, as the U.S. military, don't have any legitimacy with the people in the first place, so we're going to have to leave. There's going to be a bloodbath, better now than later, so that these people can get, get themselves back on their feet, figure out what they need to do, and they need us out of their way. Yeah, it seems that that's the defining, uh, <laughs> the defining feature of a quagmire. It really doesn't matter what one does. One is, is stuck with a, um, a preordained outcome, it seems. But uh, on, on that, we should point out that Iraq Veterans Against the War is certainly calling for, for full reparations and uh, reconstruction efforts and, and so forth. So you're not simply suggesting that we pull out and, and all of our responsibility ends there. Right, yeah, I'm suggesting that our responsibility begins with pulling out the military because they're just part of the problem, whether they want to be or not. And, and I'm saying that, I mean, this, is, this would be a great favor to the Iraqi people. And also that, you know, as, a, as the most powerful and the, most, and the wealthiest country in the world, we have a lot more resources to offer than just our military. I mean, to, to suggest that removing our military that's designed to defeat the Soviet Union is abandoning the Iraqi people is just ridiculous. The website is Iraq Veterans Against the War. It's www.ivaw.org. Uh, to find out how to help out the Los Angeles chapter, you can log on to that website. And uh, you could also log on to KUCI Talk later in the day and find out how to get in touch with Jason and other folks in the Los Angeles chapter. Jason, we'll have to have you on uh, after the, uh, the convention in St. Louis. So thank you so much for being on our program this morning. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, good luck to you.